continue with uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll read from 1 Kings chapter 8 from verse 22. Uh, to give a little bit of background, the, the temple of the Lord was finally finished. And then there was a feast that Solomon gave. All the people of Israel went to Jerusalem to celebrate. And then as they, uh, the Ark of the Lord came in, uh, the people celebrated with uh, music, uh, with song. And at the time, the, Lord, the glory of the Lord came down to the temple. And then there was a thick cloud. Uh, and then that, mean, that says uh, it was so thick that uh, they could not minister, the priests could not minister to the people. And that is the background of um, this chapter. And then uh, Solomon blessed the people of Israel, and verse 22, Then Solomon stood before the altar to the Lord in the presence of all the, all the assemble, assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God in heaven above on, or on earth be, below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. Therefore, Lord of God of Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me, as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today that your eyes may be upon, open toward this temple night and day toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven your dwelling place, and you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When you people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive in sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. 
When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance." When there is a famine in the land, pestilence and blight and mildew, locusts and grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague and whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone knows the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days, that they may li- they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great great name and your strong hand, your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to, to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. As do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemy wherever you sent them. And when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen. And the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When they sin against you. For there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent. And make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in their land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against, against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captives, captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication to your servant, and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them when every, whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses. 
when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. We're going to stop there so far, reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, as I mentioned briefly, uh, when all the people of Israel were summoned, elders and chief fathers of the children of Israel, that it was a time that Solomon brought the ark of the Lord into the temple. That was the highlight of the construction and the feast. The Levites, the priests, played various instruments, 120 trumpets. They sang together, giving thanks to the Lord, singing Psalm 136. We read, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And then it says, When the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. They saw something, the cloud. It was a visible sign that the Lord was with them. And in verse 12, we read this, Solomon spoke, The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Now, uh, our English, English translations, other English translations, they say ESV for instance, the Lord has said he would dwell in thick darkness. And then King James, old King James says, he would dwell in the same thing, in the thick darkness. And our translation New King James and NIV says, He would dwell in the dark cloud. And then all the translations have a point. Uh, the original Hebrew says, He would settle or dwell in the thick, heavy cloud. So it is also okay to say, because the cloud is thick, you can say the thick darkness. And it has a theological meaning too. The question is, why would the Lord dwell in the dark cloud? We think of passages like, God is light. Uh, Apostle John used that many times in his epistles. We would think that God would love to dwell in light, not in darkness. And that is that's, that's correct. But in other places in the Bible, we discover that God's presence is often associated with the clouds and thick darkness. For instance, Psalm 97, verse 2, Clouds and thick darkness surround Him, which we sang at the beginning of the worship service. Job 22:14, Clouds are a hiding place for Him. Exodus, Exodus 13, verse 21 is a good example. The Lord is going before him in a pillar of a cloud by day and lead them on the way. So when the Lord came to his people, he appeared in the cloud, in a thick and dark cloud. Why? 
It's not because he is shy. It's not because he likes to be in the darkness. No, actually, it's quite the opposite. He, he loves light. He is light himself. The answer is in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Well, to give you a little context, it's right after. Um, I think it has to do something uh, to do with the uh, incident that he's, he lost his sons because they were not being careful when they ministered in the temple. So there's a warning that do not come out just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is in the ark, lest he die. And this is the key. I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So the point is, the, the reason why he dwells in the thick cloud is for our sake. He dwells in the cloud to protect his people, sinners. You see, God is so powerful and we are sinful human beings. We cannot face God. No man shall see God and live. Even Moses, he could not see the face of God. So when you try to look straight to the sun, you just cannot bear the power of the sun in your eyes. You can go blind by looking at, looking at the sun a long period of time. You can imagine God is much more powerful than the sun. We are tainted with sin and darkness. If we are exposed to God's holiness and righteousness, we will surely perish. So the cloud was necessary. It was like a curtain which hides us from God's holiness. So therefore, when Solomon said, God would dwell in dark cloud, it was an expression of love. It's not like God wants to be distant from us because he hates us. I mean, he hates sin. And he hates sinners. And he also wants to protect his people but God still wants to be with them. His, his desire for fellowship is so great that he's willing to dwell in a thick cloud for our sake. So we have to understand in that way. So what does that mean? Well, the Lord wishes to be his people. He dwelt in the temple to a certain degree. And then you can imagine the, between the Holy of Holies and the holy place, they're thick curtain that resembles the thick cloud the same thing well this means he wants to dwell with his people but not he cannot have a full complete fellowship because there was a still a barrier the Lord was with them but not completely the Lord had a fellowship with the people but not in a full scale since the people could not see him face to face. So the Solomon's temple reflected this glorious yet sad reality that God was with them, but they could not enjoy true fellowship in a full scale. Just as the thick clouds prevented people from approaching God, there was a curtain installed to separate the most holy place from the holy place the Holy of Holies. Inside it was very dark. 
because it had to be totally isolated from in outside. So the fact that the Ark of the Covenant came into the Holy of Holies was a good news. I mean, it means God was still with them. But it was still a good reminder that we are, they were still sinners. And the true and the complete fellowship happened when Jesus Christ came. He came to this world in a human flesh, emptied his glory by putting, uh, putting on his flesh, human flesh. He assumed his, uh, the human flesh, hiding his heavenly glory so that he and his people can have a fellowship closely and face to face. We know that when we read in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, transfiguration when his glory was fully revealed the disciples could not stare at him straight they had to hide the Solomon's temple foreshadowed the desire and love of Christ and someday it has a this um, meaning the foreshadow that someday someone will destroy that barrier and then we see that in the New Testament, as his body was torn into two, the temple curtain, the symbol of barrier, was also torn, so that we may gaze upon gaze um, upon God's glory face to face someday when we rise again in our sinless and glorified body. So, what is it that we can learn? If there is one thing that we can learn from this passage, again. God's glory was in the temple, but we are still sinners, yet it makes us, forces us to look to Jesus Christ as our new hope. Jesus said in John chapter 2, 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and who are you that you will raise it up in three days? And John says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. <coughs> it's really interesting if you think about it, when Jesus promised that he will come back, uh, when he ascended to heaven, there are two angels saying, why are you standing here staring at the heaven? He will come as you look at him right now. And he said, in the cloud, he will come in the cloud. Different translations uh, in a different nation, different, uh, different language has different translations and one translation says he will come riding on the cloud I think the theological meaning is that in the Old Testament in the thick cloud it means a separation the fact that Christ is coming in the cloud means well he is equating Christ with God he is God himself just as God was in the cloud Christ behold he's coming in the cloud Yet there's a little difference that now you can see him coming in. So there's a, there's a shadow, foreshadow, and there's a promise that we'll see him face to face. The difference between Old Testament and the New Testament. So here's the theme and points. Solomon's prayer of dedication. So in that context, he gives this prayer. Solomon first acknowledges who God is. And second, he requests God's mercy on uh, the future Israel. He asked for the forgiveness of future sins of Israel. 
So this prayer of Solomon is one of the longest prayers in the Bible, and also one of the most important prayers in the Bible. And first, he begins his prayer by acknowledging God, who God is. Verse 22, he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the, all the assembly of Israel. So the, all the people of Israel probably heard this prayer. Verse 22, he said, Lord, God of Israel, there's no God in heaven above or on the earth below like you. So first, Solomon calls God as the Lord God of Israel. God of Israel. Well, it does not mean that God is just limited to Israel. He is God who created all creatures on the earth and heaven and below the water. It's not that Solomon wants to limit God as a merely God of Israel, tribal, tribal Israel. So Solomon wants to contrast his God from other gods, other idols of the surrounding nations. He says there's no one else like him. He is the only deity, true God. There's no one like him in heaven or on earth. No one else can satisfy our souls and take care of our physical needs. So if I may summarize what Solomon is saying here is this. He is not like other deities. He is faithful. God's faithfulness is the theme of Solomon's prayer. God's faithfulness is the basis on which Solomon makes his request. Because that's the one biggest distinction between other deities and God of Israel. We say God's love is a steadfast love and covenantal love. So Solomon, by addressing God as God of Israel, is not to make God limit him into God of one nation, no. But acknowledge is, is the acknowledgement that his faithfulness, that he's been faithful to his people, Israel. Of course, he made it. He made and kept the promises that he made to David. He had faithfully fulfilled his promises to give David a son who would sit on his throne and build the house for God. And that just happened. And we also can say this promise was fulfilled through Jesus Christ that his royal dynasty of David still endures as the Lord Jesus Christ sits on that throne forever. So here's one lesson that we can learn from Solomon's prayer. As you see, the Solomon's prayer began by acknowledging God's faithfulness. So should our prayers begin with the acknowledgement that God is faithful Father. When Christ taught us to pray, He commands us to call God as our Father, which we also do. The challenge is, do we always acknowledge God's faithfulness, or do we like to jump into the request right away? Now, sometimes we do, and that's okay, when God's people are in supplication, groans, and challenged, 
and they go to God right away and ask and request right away, and that is okay. But it is good to acknowledge and recognize who God is first. <coughs> and also when we ask, we ask like the Solomon did. Verse 25, Therefore, Lord God of, God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father. Therefore, that's the key word Solomon said, because you are faithful, Lord, I ask this. In other words, my request is based on your faithfulness. My faith is based on your steadfast love and faithfulness. You begin your prayer with confession of faith. You are the author of my faith, and I ask on the basis of your faithfulness. This has this is dramatically different from uh, some of the prayers of other uh, Christian denominations. Other Christian denominations, people, they like to define faith as a something that you yourself exercise. The bigger faith you have, the bigger reward you have. Is it something that you can produce? It's a, it demonstrates your power. And Lord willing, we're going to We'll, have, we'll listen to that uh, this evening about the faith. But then what the Solomon says is quite different. He asked according to what God promised and what God desires. For instance, you don't say, God, I know, I know you're faithful, but please um, don't let my brother or sister share my toys. You don't say that. Or let me be rich by using deceitful scales and by cheating people. Uh, of course, that's not the right prayer. First, seek the kingdom of God. Ask for God's kingdom first. In order to do that, you stick with God's faithfulness and you stick with what God desires for you. Godly things. You ask for godly things. That's what Solomon does. Verse 26. O God of Israel, let your word come true. Your word come true. How many times do we pray that your word come true? Usually, if you listen to our prayers or um, other people's prayers, if you listen carefully, uh, sometimes it tends to be that we like to pray that my desires, my wishes, my word become true. But Solomon says, let your word come true. Why? Because Solomon first began first by recognizing who God is, God's faithfulness. Another important point in this passage uh, is that Solomon also recognizes that God is beyond our comprehension. Verse 27, very interesting. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? And then later we realize that he knows that God dwells in heaven. 
Heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. He just finished building the house of God. It is very natural for someone after finishing a gigantic building become proud and arrogant. But he's not. He knows his place. He knows who God is. God is beyond our comprehension. It took so much resource this past seven years, time and labor, construction of the temple, the purpose of this temple was summarized in this verse. Verse 27. All the things that they had done for seven years is summarized in this verse. Will God indeed dwell on this earth or in this temple? And Solomon misunderstood correctly. The answer is no. That's a rhetorical question. That he could not be confined in this small place. And he knows in verse 30, he knows that God dwells in heaven. Nevertheless, here's the key. God still dwells in the temple. Why? Not because this is big enough for him. Not because this is satisfactory to in his eyes. That's not the point. But because God promised that he will dwell with his people. Again, God's faithfulness. Today we can ask the same question that Jesus said, Apostle Paul said, we are the temple of God. Or we can say, well, this is the worship place that we gather. We don't call this temple. This is church. But the idea is the same. When two or three are gathered, I will be with you. Christ said. We can ask the same question. Will the Holy Spirit dwell in this temple? Will the Holy Spirit be with us in this place? Heaven and, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain God. How much less this temple of my body? We can, add, we can say it in the same way. But the answer is no. But because God is faithful, the answer becomes yes. The answer is no when we look at ourselves, but it becomes yes when you look at God's faithfulness. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, because not because God finds us beautiful, but to make us beautiful according to God's promises. That's the, the, that's the theology that we should have. That's the something that, that we can learn from this passage. So let's go to the second point. His request uh, of God's mercy on future Israel. So he continues in his prayer. Remarkable prayer. How surprising it is and also odd that this portion of prayer is that is, uh, is something that he is a request for the future 
forgiveness. It reminds us of what Christ is doing for his people. You see, Solomon just sacrificed, he sacrificed countless animals. After sacrificing them, he blessed the Lord and blessed the people. And then what does he do? He intercedes for the people as a king. Asking for the forgiveness of his people's sin, future sins even. In the same way, Jesus Christ gave a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And he spread his two hands just like Solomon did. Blessed his people when he ascended into heaven. And what does he do? Is he resting? No. He sits on the right hand of God and he continues to intercede for us. So Jesus Christ is the greater Solomon who makes a royal intercession for our salvation day and night and the forgiveness of our sins for the sake of his sacrifice. Verse 30, and you may... Uh, and. He says, And may you hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. That's his request. So we can summarize this prayer that this prayer is based on, as I said, based on God's faithfulness. And the second part is mainly about forgiveness of sin. Verse 31. If the people of God sin against their neighbor... Verse 33, when people of Israel defeated before the enemy because they sinned against you. So it's a big summary of the law. Love your God and love your neighbor. But when they violated those two great commandments, and what happens? And here's the point. When they turn back to you, and when they confess their sins, and they confess your name, actually that's what it says, and how do they do that? Well, they come back to this place, the temple, verse 30, when they pray toward this place. So you can imagine they come and facing this temple because that's where God's Ark of the Covenant is. And when that happens, hear from heaven in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel. The temple, you see, the temple was a place of reconciliation and forgiveness. That's what the temple was about. So that's why it says, toward this temple. Everything they did in the temple, sacrifices, rituals, offerings, they're for the reconciliation and forgiveness of sin. Verse 35, when there's no rain because they sinned against God or famine or pestilence, or when they suffer from their enemies, when there's a pandemic, when there's pestilence, when there's something wrong going on in the world, or in the nation. And then verse 38, when they spread out their hands toward this temple, and here in heaven your dwelling place, the same thing, and forgive. Even foreigners, verse 41, who came from far country for your name's sake, when he comes and prays, again, toward this temple, here in heaven, 
here in heaven and your dwelling place according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. That's why I said previously that when Solomon said, God of Solomon calls God of God of Israel, he does not mean to limit God as just tribal um, a God of Israel. No, he, he also listens to the foreigners according to verse 41. He continues in verse 46. When they sin against you and their enemies take them captive to the land of enemy. Wow, that's very interesting because that actually happened in the history. The Babylonian kept the captivity. And then what happens? They realize their wrongdoings. They regret. They repent. They return to you with all their heart and with their, all their soul while, while they are still in exile and pray to you. Listen to this. Toward this land. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and their prayer and their supplication, and forgive your people who sinned against you. We see a good example in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, before he received the vision, he prayed, uh, he was fasting, he was in Babylon. Prophet Daniel, he prayed facing toward Jerusalem, requesting prayer of supplication. So it's a very simple message. If you people repent from their sin and come back to this place, or if they're not able to at least face toward this place, spread their hands toward this place, this temple, then please forgive their sins. Why? What is a special what is it that is special about this temple? Well, this temple is a symbol of God's presence, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Not the building itself has a special power. No, because it has but is but it is because it has a symbol, this the symbolism that God is in the temple. But wait a minute. Um, so Solomon said, if you spread your uh, hands toward the temple, you face the towards temple, uh, wait a minute, but what about, what about us? We don't have a temple anymore. The temple was destroyed twice. Uh, so Solomon's temple was destroyed, first by Babylonians. It was rebuilt by Ezra um, uh, before Nehemiah. You can read all about it in Ezra, on Haggai. But that temple was also destroyed after Jesus uh, came to this earth. He said, destroy this temple. Right? Uh, he was talking about the body of his temple, but actually the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So does that mean, since there's no physical temple, does that mean this prayer of Solomon has nothing to do with us? Is that just the remnant of the Old Testament? Well, by no means. Actually, we can appreciate the prayer of Solomon much more since Christ fulfilled this prayer. As I said, John chapter 2, Christ said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Temple was about the reconciliation and the forgiveness of sins, and Christ indeed brought true reconciliation between God 
and his people. Apostle Paul recognized this in Romans 5. Because of Christ's work, we have peace with God. By his sacrifice, our sins are completely forgiven. Temple is temple of the Temple of Solomon was the place where God dwelt. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was called Emmanuel, God be with us. There was a limitation in the Old Testament that the people of God, when God came in the thick cloud, they could not see him. But they could feel the presence of God. There's a thick cloud. Whereas in the New Testament, the disciples saw Christ face to face. And we will also see him when he come in the cloud at the end of time. And most of all, Solomon said, when God's people sinned against their neighbor or against their God, and if they repent with all their heart and turn back to this temple and pray toward this temple, God will surely forgive their sins. And today, forgiveness of our sins, God forgives our sins when we turn to the true temple, Jesus Christ. When we cry out to the true temple, the Son of God, and confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even foreigners. That element is very surprising. We would think that in the Old Testament, the covenant was only limited to God's people. Yes and no. It was also extended, the blessings was also extended to the foreigners as well at the time. Think about Rahab, think about Ruth, think about all the foreigners who came to the temple, you can imagine. Even foreigners, anyone who are not part of the covenant community, but somehow, by the work of the Holy Spirit, they come to the feet of Christ, and then when they cry out for the forgiveness of sins, then God is faithful, and He will forgive for the sake of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Solomon was a great king, but someone greater than Solomon is here, Christ said. You see, the Jews, they misunderstood this. They thought this, that because for the Jews, the temple was the center of everything, their social life. During the Passover, thousands and thousands of people came to Jerusalem to have a Passover meal. And it was the center for great, great economic financial gains. They turned the temple into a den of thieves, selling the animals to those pilgrims. Remember, Jesus came and rebuked them and kicked them out of the temple. The disciples, when they passed by the temple, the disciples told Jesus, Look, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Look at this beautiful structure. It is our national pride. And then they kind of forgot the real meaning of the temple. And as a result, it was not a place for repentance and reconciliation. It was not a place for to spread their hands to pray. It was not a house of prayer, but it was 
a den of thieves. You know, the, one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified is because they thought one of the accusations was, a serious one was, he said, destroy this temple and I will build, I will raise it up in three days. They thought they misunderstood. They forgot why the temple was given to them in the first place and Jesus understood correctly. He was talking about the transition between, uh, from Old Testament to the New Testament. He is... He was the reality of the foreshadows. That's why John said he was talking about the body of his, his temple, the temple himself. But the Jews thought he was actually a terrorist. Because for the priests and the leaders, the temple was, their, was <clears throat> temple was just for their political power. They used the temple for their political gain. The merchants used the temple for their monetary gain. But for us, from the lessons that the Holy Spirit teaches us, that Jesus is the true temple. This is a place for prayer. You are the temple. You, Calvin said, we are all sin factories. Factory of sin. We sin every second. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are the house of prayer. And I would dare to say, you should be the factory of prayers. Because when you pray, when you ask for the forgiveness of sins, you ask, when you ask in the name of Jesus Christ, spread your hands to the Jesus Christ, and ask for the forgiveness of sins, on the basis of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, God will surely hear from heaven and forgive your sins. Whatever sin that that may be. Only if you believe and repent, turn back from your sin. That's why we pray, we, we, uh, we finish our prayers by mentioning the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the true temple. May the Lord bless us. Amen.